studio. Welcome back once more to this evening's edition of Talking Point with me, Jamil. My pleasure as always being in your company. I mentioned earlier on when I gave you a rundown on the discussions we'll be having this evening. And we are now going to be focusing on closing the research gap between Africa and the rest of the world. Now, a large gap remains in research capacity between Africa and the rest of the world in all scientific disciplines and addressing the challenges, especially in the physical sciences, technology, engineering and mathematics. It's known as the STEM system. Uh, That sector remains a major hurdle. Now, to provide more clarity on this issue and this article written by Amina Gurb-Fakim, professor at University of South Africa. But if we truly want to, and I've read through the article, it's a brief one, but uh, if we truly want to know who Amina Fakim is, you should Google her and find out uh, she is not just leading an academic life in Africa, but science, entrepreneurial research and development, revolutionary turned president of Mauritius. Can you believe it? This evening I'm speaking to a president. Amina, assalamualaikum to you. Shukran very much for your time. Before listeners phone me and say, yes, I'm, you know, uh, uh, having them on this evening. It's not April the 1st. President of uh, Mauritius. Hello? Hello. Now I'm asking, uh, you know, I've just read there, President of Mauritius. So we've actually got a president online this evening. Yes. Okay. Uh, would this be, uh, is it the first in the world? I haven't done the research on it, but, uh, you know, everything points to me and says to me, hey, this is a first, you know, we've got a woman president online. Just before I ask you, and we, we get stuck into the nitty gritties of what Yusuf, who probably chatted with you during the day, wants to find out. When we look at Mauritius, a little bit of background to the country, the, the economy, etc., sort of challenges it, it, it would be facing, uh, um, Amina? Yes. Mauritius uh, uh, was uh, a colony of uh, the British since uh, till 1968. Uh, we got our independence in March 1968, and uh, since then, uh, for, a, for a while, uh, the economy was dependent on sugar. And uh, subsequent to this, uh, the economy, which was dependent up to 90% of sugar, uh, the government have, uh, the, the successive government, have diversified the economy uh, through, for example, uh, textile and the light industry, financial services, and it's been going on like this for a while. And this has been made possible uh, by the fact that Mauritius has made education free in 1976. Wow. So with the advent of free education in 1976, uh, both women and men were equally educated. And this has been a major boost for the country to diversify the economy and now moving to other sectors. Now, while the per capita income of Mauritius ranges around 9,000 US dollars or 10,000 US dollars, it stands quite well on the African continent as far as this indicator is concerned. However, uh, because we have more or less become uh, the victim of our own success in a way, we have lost over the years many of the preferential uh, trade uh, agreements with many countries, one of them, of course, being the European Union, where we had uh, preferential rates for our sugar, for example. So the, the economy now has to fire on as many engines as possible. Uh, 
And because we are small and we have an educated workforce, this is where uh, the issue of science, technology, innovation comes to the fore because we have been able to do it uh, rather timidly because, as I said, we still have the protecting market. But I think now is the time to really focus on these pillars of the economy. And it is through this that I think Mauritius, which is now at a crossroads, can really make a difference to to her people and, of course, uh, showcase what she can do uh, to the rest of the continent. Certainly. Also, it still remains a uh, tourist destination. It is a major tourist destination. And tourism, of course, is an important pillar in the economy. But even that, you know, even if you have uh, good pillars like this, one cannot sit on our laurels. One has to keep on innovating and one has to keep on uh, really improving the product as well. So even in the tourism industry, we can no longer rely on the sand and sea and the coconut beaches uh, as a destination because this can be found anywhere. So Mauritius has to show that it has an edge on the rest. And one of these areas, of course, would be green tourism, because we remain a biodiversity hotspot in the world. And over and above this, if you mesh in the cultural aspect, I think we have a formidable product to offer the world. Beautiful, Amina. Amina, in my introduction there, I read that a large gap remains in research capacity between Africa and the rest of the world in all scientific disciplines and addressing the challenges, especially in the physical sciences, technology, engineering and mathematics known as the STEM system. That particular sector remains a major hurdle. Is there a spike and a revival of Africanism and is there a real chance for Africa to make a difference in our role in the innovative spectrum or is this a hope, all just hopeful dreams? Amina? Well, you know, uh, the difference, as I keep saying, between the North and the South is essentially the science gap. Right? And if you look at uh, countries like, uh, let's, let's take uh, uh, countries which were like in the 1950s, right? Early 1960s. If we take one country in Africa, I'm just saying, saying just like this, one country in West Africa without naming any names, and let's compare the economy of that country with what South Korea was in the 1950s, 1960s. South Korea has just come out of the war, and it was a country which was, of course, quite desolate and desperate. So what the, what the government did, they started with education, and of course at the primary, secondary level. Next came tertiary education. Then came uh, products at a very low level of skills. And then they came up, of course, in the next, uh, by the time they finished the 50 years, they were coming up with what we know now, we now know as Samsung, Hyundai, uh, you name it, these are Korean products. So what has made the difference, therefore, between this uh, African country, as I said, West Africa, which still remains uh, a per capita of uh, less than $1,000 per year, and what South Korea represents in terms of innovation, I think we're talking really of a difference of night and day. And what has the Korean government done is that they have invested in their people, they have invested in capacity building, they have promoted north-south transfer and increasingly now south-south. But more importantly, they have invested a lot of the GDP into research, into development, into innovation. And if a country like South Korea has single-handedly done it, 
without much in terms of resources, can you imagine what Africa can do with the resources that she has, with the talent that she has? Because don't forget that 11 million graduates are going to be landing on the job market on the continent every year. And the continent is one which is getting younger. So we have all the assets uh, to actually make a difference, but governments also need to put in one, the, the, the proposed 1% of the African Union Commission of its GDP into research. Now, if you can put more, like Kenya is proposing to put 2%, I think the potential is just going to explode. Beautiful. I mean, I just need you to hold your thoughts for a second. I need to go for a very, very short break and we'll continue our discussion just after this. Welcome back once more to this evening's edition of Talking Points. Still online with us is Amina Gurib Fakim. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. President of Mauritius with a PhD, and she's also an author, the African Union Prize winner, and, and the list of accomplishments simply go on and on and on. And you can hear it on what's coming out this evening. And we're simply just scratching the surface here. Now, Amina, you, you know... Can you please elaborate on your country's demographic pocket of excellence in innovation, the innova- innovation phenomenon, in relation to Africa and the world? And what are you doing different? Well, as I said, um, you know, one of the main uh, things that uh, successive governments have done is the issue of uh, election, you know, governance. And we have election every five years. So uh, the government in place, they know that they have to deliver on the promises. And uh, after this, you know, uh, it's more or less game over. And uh, so they've had to work. So there has been precisely the governance issue. Then uh, we have uh, really done a great deal of effort on access to health. Health is free in this country. Education is also free in this country and at all levels, all the way up to tertiary level. And, uh, well, even transport, local transport for school, for kids to go to school is free. Um, So if you put in all these uh, together, I think it makes a very, very strong recipe uh, for people not to say they have no excuse to work because uh, uh, the Social Security Service also performs. But, uh, you know, people have to just get on with it and, uh, and make it happen. And as I said, education has been a very powerful weapon. Uh, with which uh, governments could make things happen because it can count on a trained labor force. And I think there was no real success because Mauritius is a country without any natural resources. The only resources we had was, of course, uh, the human capital. So we've had to make it work. And uh, we have, uh, again, successfully diversified the economy, going from a monocrop economy of sugar uh, right now, of course, into a high-level finance and banking, uh, which are, of course, uh, uh, coming up quite well. But we have also understood that uh, we can no longer afford to leave behind science, technology, uh, innovation, because these are, this is also a very powerful driver uh, for economic growth. Okay, that, that, I think that clears up one thing here. Now, also, even though South Africa is the top four African countries, or the top, uh, when it comes to the top four countries, uh, African countries with healthy, healthy GDP, we know that our academic achievements and IP space is faltering to the wayside. 
How did you tackle this issue in uh, or this challenge in Mauritius? Um, as I said, uh, uh, again, successive governments have been quite agile uh, in terms of um, in terms of making decisions. They're taking decisions and making things happen. The advantage we have is that we are quite small, so any small kind of input uh, makes a big difference. Um, so gradually, uh, we have been able to to build upon uh, what successive governments have left behind. So, for example, uh, one government came up with the textile industry, uh, starting on the grow level, and gradually we have been to be, to be able to build up to very high end of the market. So there has been kind of a, a follow-up, a continuation of institutions uh, over, you know, of course, the overarching uh, way that we have been able to govern the country and the way we have been able to do business as well. So there has been continuity in the institutional uh, framework uh, locally. And I think, again, I keep saying that nothing can happen until you have the proper, the rightly trained human capital. And this is something that is non-negotiable. And I think increasingly African continent has to realize that the, the main resource in this country is not the oil. The main resource in this country will remain the youth. And I think through the use, through the use, through the proper uh, kind of uh, capital, uh, human capital uh, building, you know, value addition, and this is how we're going to make a difference. Now, if you look at the, the landscape in the United States, um, of course, which is, of course, the biggest economy in this world, if you look at the input of um, Africans, if you look at the input of, of Asians, I mean, I think the story there is quite telling. So how come the same people, when they migrate abroad, they can contribute so much and they can't do it in the continent? I mean, this is, again, where the enabling environment has to be put in place so that the people can perform adequately and, of course, through all the issue of governance and through all the issues of, uh, you know, you name it, all the indicators, which will, of course, add value to the human capital and, of course, uh, make them perform on the continent just as they would do elsewhere in the world. Oh, well, my guest online with me, Her Excellency Amina Gurup, who is, Fakim, who is the president of Mauritius. And as I said uh, earlier on, uh, you know, her list of accomplishments certainly go on and on and on. And she speaks with a lot of passion when it comes to the country and where it is heading. Now, the other question would be if we look at, and there's been a lot said now lately about climate change. Is it possible to speak yeah. about issues relating to challenges relate, relating to climate change that your country is facing and the possible solutions you might be addressing? Yeah. You know, climate change is a threat which is uh, threatening um, the entire world. I mean, uh, island states like Mauritius, small islands, developing states, the SIDS, as we call them, I think they are particularly vulnerable. Uh, they are vulnerable because, uh, well, first of all, we do not commit that much uh, greenhouse gas, but we'll bear the brunt of the climate change. And I think if you look at uh, uh, small island states, island states like Mauritius, I think one of the major threats uh, will be, uh, for example, more intense uh, cyclones, which we are prone to. And recently we've seen that some of the cyclones which have uh, uh, which have emerged in the Indian Ocean, the wind speed was over 250 kilometers. I think it's enough to bring down any country, any infrastructure. So this is one of the threats. 
Uh, the other threat that we'll also be getting, of course, because we are, we are surrounded by the sea, is the acidification of the ocean and also the rise in the temperature of the waters. All these will be enough to destroy the coral reef. And, of course, coral reef, of course, remains, of course, the backbone of uh, uh, the economy of many of the island states. So we increasingly have to live up to uh, these issues of uh, climate change, but notwithstanding the fact that it is the, these effects will also impact the water cycles. So there will be, there has been rather, a series of uh, unpredictable uh, uh, droughts and also bouts of uh, flash floods. So I think a lot of them, of course, of these issues are directly related to the issue of climate change. So increasingly, countries like Mauritius and other small island states need to keep on sharing, need to keep on dialoguing on ways of adaptation and share good practices. I think now is the time uh, leading up to Paris and, of course, post-Paris after the uh, Conference of Parties meeting in uh, December uh, to see to it how best we can network with each other, learn from each other and, of course, draw into our respective strengths. Mm. Excellency, also, um, you quoted in an article that African countries can no longer depend only on external financiers to fund basic and strategic research on the continent. Uh, quoting further, saying African governments as well as the private sector should make the firm commitment to invest in science, technology and innovation particularly if the continent wants to participate actively in the global knowledge uh, economy and cultivate local capacity. you just want to reflect on that? Um, you know, as I said, um, uh, many African countries have become independent now for the past 50 years. So I think we can no longer say that we're still, uh, you know, kind of uh, reaping all the, all the uh, bad uh, uh, issues that have come out of colonialism. I think we have been master of our own destiny at least for, for 50 years. And what do we see is that uh, whilst in Asia many of the, of the economies are progressing, and they're progressing uh, because there has been investment in the human capital, uh, there has been investment into, as I said, science, technology, uh, engineering and mathematics, and of course the, the backbone on which uh, young people can be trained uh, to make a difference in many areas. So up until the government don't come up with their own commitment to train their own people, we, and of course so far many African countries, well, in fact my own country as well to some extent, uh, we have depended a lot of, on donor funds. As, as I said in my last uh, interview, I said donors have been very, very helpful. We are very grateful. But I think whatever donors give uh, should be matched by government, if not more, because it's only through this partnership that uh, we will really build indigenous capacity. And if we had indigenous, strong indigenous capacity in Africa, for example, if we had strong institutions and, of course, uh, a very qualified human capital, we would not have seen, for example, the Ebola crisis as we saw in West Africa. So it, uh, it pays uh, to, to invest, and sometimes a little bit of trained human capital can, for example, just give a very small example, uh, clean water, clean air. I mean, even if these two issues can be addressed, we can make a very big difference on the continent. So it comes back to the rules that we need to invest in our own people, and this can only be done when we put our money where our mouth is. Mm. 
Well, my guest online with me is uh, Amina, her excellency Amina Gurup Fakim, president of Mauritius, and I said with a list of other titles. Um, but due to time constraints here, I've got about four minutes left, five minutes left, but I've got to pose this question. Now, why do you think we are so ignorant on our role? complementing our biodiversity or has our need for energy in the electrified world become the source of our own destruction? You know, um, if you look at, uh, you've, you've used the word biodiversity and I will just focus on just one aspect of biodiversity which is traditional medicine. So I've made traditional medicine my uh, study for the past 25 years or so. Why traditional medicine? Because traditional medicine is at the basis of modern medicine. And if you look at the evolution of the drug industry, 60% of the drugs which are being sold in the, uh, the, in the, uh, sorry, in the pharmacist, you know, in the chemist shop, they have as origin one natural product. It's a molecule coming from nature, and 25% of these 60%, they come directly from medicinal plants. Now, if you look at the diversity of plants in Africa, you'll find that Africa is absent on many of these blockbuster drugs. Now, why this is so is mainly because we don't produce plants, for example, that meet the international market norms. Uh, but I think more importantly, and I think this is where we really uh, contrast sharply with Asia. When I say Asia, two Asian countries, we mean India and China, is that many African governments, they don't endorse their African traditional medicine. I mean, uh, Chinese medicine has emerged because the government recognized it. Indian medicine has emerged because Indian government recognized it. And yet, on the continent, we'll be really, really uh, pressed to find a government uh, there's exception one or two which have really recognized herbal medicine and have actually put it into their own health care. And I think this, to me, has been the major handicap for not seeing a proper uh, consolidated African herbal pharmacopoeia which should have emerged long time ago and would have made a huge difference to the health landscape on the continent. Now, not only this, is that now we have international conventions which are helping uh, countries put value to their knowledge, put value to the biodiversity, and yet there are so many African countries which have not ratified many of these international conventions and protocols. So it puts us at a disadvantage. And increasingly in, this, in, in the connected world we are living, we really need, again, to really look at our own strength, at our own diversity, at our own riches. And a lot of the answers are found in the knowledge that our ancestors have passed on. But unfortunately, we are losing it because in Africa, the transmission has always been oral. And every time an elderly passes on, we would have lost an entire library. So there is, in fact, action has to be initiated now. And we need to document. We need to add value. We need to relook at our history, we need to relook at our heritage, and this can only be done by taking cognizance of what we have and stop looking outside, but take some closer look in as well. Mm. You, you've mentioned something very important that made me sit up here because uh, in, in the, the on the West Coast, in Cape Town, in South yes. Africa, we have a unique yes. plant growing. It's called rooibos tea. But for years, there was yes. an American sitting 
with the rights to the plant and it's only now lately the past last few years that we were able to claim back what belongs to us so you really exactly. I, I, I've got about two minutes left I'm going to ask you if, if we look at you know what we are talking about yeah, um, yeah. how do you see the immediate future and I'm thinking here of uh, our young we, we 21 20, 21 years into our democracy it's still very young but we have our born freeze coming to the fore if you look at them, yeah. Africa, you know, uh, are we up there? Uh, are we there yet? No, I think South Africa has done very well, actually. Uh, South Africa has been, has shown the way uh, by putting, for example, the geographic indication for the rebosh. Uh, South Africa is also working to get the aloe rocks into the fold, which, of course, very much from... Uh, uh, just to contact the guest a little later and then uh, to apologize to her. It's no fault on our side that the line has simply dropped. And then to thank her for taking time out and speaking to us at the Voice of the Cape on the way she sees Africa going into the future.